we're hopping into Proverbs here. So you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs and put your finger in it. One of the things I dislike about preaching is when you get, you get uh, absolutes that are false absolutes. So this is the right way to do it. And whenever someone says this is the right way, you, you, should, you should stop and begin to... It's like you know, when you do a chess piece move and you hold your finger on it, you look at it from all directions before you let go. You should never say this is the only or the right way until you've really analyzed it from all directions. So what's funny is um, you get people that will be into preaching... Uh, what's called topical messages, and it's, this is the right way. Why? Because Jesus preached that way. Well, that's a good argument. Um, then you get people into what's called expository preaching or verse-by-verse preaching, and, and it's, this is the way. Why? Well, because it's Scripture. It's teaching Scripture, and Scripture's the Word of God, and, and we're putting the Word of God before, like, pastor's opinions. or um, and That's a good argument, too. And, and what the answer is is, uh, of course, there's, there's logic in both. But the funny thing is, when you look at how the New Testament came to these books, it, it wouldn't be verse by verse. It would be whole books at a time. In other words, um, it wouldn't be, let's spend five years on the book of Philippians uh, or Romans. It would be someone would stand up and read the letter um, written to the church at Philippi that was also intended to be read by the other churches around. And they would stand up and they'd read the whole book. And, and that's a practice that I think we've gotten away from. Why? Because it's just a, um, it's, not, it's not entertaining. And it's not, it doesn't fit our kind of, you know, 35-minute sermon kind of model or American model or whatever. But if we really want to talk about you know, what, what's the biblical way? We're going to find things that don't even enter into our conversation. So what's the right way? There is no right way. It's, it's either true, a true sermon, biblically based, or an untrue sermon. It's either a sermon that glorifies God or a sermon that doesn't glorify God. But there's a whole lot of different methods that can be employed for a, I think, a message that would honor God. All that to say, we don't read long chunks of Scripture as much as... Um, the early church did. So we're going to read the whole book of Proverbs. I'm just kidding, we're not. I don't even know how long that would take because I've never done it in one sitting, see? Um, but we are going to read a, um, the better part of two chapters. And I'm, I'm doing it for a reason because so many of the truths in the book of Proverbs are the kind of truths that emerge as you're taking in and digesting whole chunks of writing. If you want to boil it down to one little verse, there's a truth or a nugget you get from that. But when you read a whole chunk, there's also a a kind of different truth that emerges from the overwhelming weight or the theme that runs throughout. Does that make sense? And it hits you differently. So we're going to read chapter 8 and the better part of chapter 9. So here we go. Chapter 8, the book of Proverbs. I apologize. Um, I'm reading in the NIV. At times I've told you that we preach from the ESV. I just don't get a lot right. So um, if you bought the ESV because I told you to, I'm sorry. Today I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, and hopefully it's, it's close enough. So chapter 8, the book of Proverbs. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud. 
To you, O man, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right, and my mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right, and they are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine, and I have understanding and power. By me kings reign, and rulers make laws that are just. By me princes govern, and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold, and what I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning before the world began, And when there were no oceans, I was given birth. And when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. And I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary and And so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instructions and be wise. Do not ignore them. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. And all who hate me love death. Wisdom has built her house. She has Hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. And whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man 
and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So what do we get from that? This morning I wanted to talk about the good life. It's a topic that has been around ever since classic, uh, the classical era. Um, this idea of the good life. You see um, Cicero wrote a book called On the Good Life. Uh, the idea was the thinkers, the philosophers aimed to figure out how shall we live? What is the right way to live to bring about the best kind of life? Uh, what's called the good, the true, and the beautiful. To bring about the right state of soul, the, 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 the soul that we would all want, the soul that we would all envy, the soul that we would all respect, this kind of idea of flourishing. And... Um, And that's really where the name philosophy comes from. The word philosophy actually is a a joining together of two Greek words. Philos, which is a, a form of love, and sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom. And so the word philosophy actually means the love of wisdom. Wisdom being the art of skillful living. Wisdom being the art of skillful living that is open to all people, especially those who know God. Let me say that again. Wisdom is open to all people, even more so to the people who know God. There's a thing, a phrase called common grace. Common grace is... um, When God created the world, God created the world to work a certain way. He put natural laws in place. He put uh, logic in place. And whether you know God or don't know God, if you follow logic, it will benefit you. If you you heed kind of common knowledge, that looks hot. If I touch that, it might burn me. Um, If you heed that, you you are benefited. Life is better for you to heed that knowledge. And you don't have to be saved. You don't have to know God to to get the benefits of that knowledge. Does that make sense? So there is a a category of knowledge and wisdom and logic that is open to all people regardless of where they stand in terms of religion that has to do with the way this world was designed to work with what is true about this world. Even more so to those who know God because there's an aspect of discernment and wisdom and knowledge that has to incorporate not just common grace but special grace. Special grace is uh, what, what God revealed about himself and about his will for the world that is open to those who seek out God, who would open up scriptures, who would listen to teaching, uh, who would listen to um, their conscience, that, that are basically taking special knowledge of God that God reveals and living in accordance with that. Okay, Versus 
general revelation, special revelation, not common grace, but special grace. And so wisdom is open to all, and it goes and extends beyond that as it comes into your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Okay, so as wisdom is a broad category, it goes all the way back to the classical period, and it simply means the art of skillful living. If I can look at that hot pan and go, I think that's hot. If I touch it, that's probably bad for me. Well, what are the things that have uh, not just a, a, a physical response to, to my well-being, but have a response or an effect with regard to my soul or the development of my person? What are things that if I touch are actually bad for me as a person? Last week we talked about adultery. That's, uh, and I, I said, in the context of, of Proverbs, it, it's like your friend that's looking at you and pleading and saying, don't be stupid. This is not good for you. If you touch it, it's hot, it will burn you. It will, it will bring harm to you. And to others. It will eventually come to light and be no good. And so wisdom, the art of skillful living, is to say how or what um, are the things in life that just like touching a hot pan operate at a deeper level with regard to who I am as a person and how my life is going to develop as I move forward. Skillful living. The flourishing soul. That's what wisdom really is. Here's a couple other Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Just by juxtaposing those two words, wisdom, another way of, of, of talking about wisdom is talking about judgment. Uh, not judgment as in punishment, but judgment as in being able to discern or make decisions or to judge appropriately what the effects of certain actions are going to be proper or correct judgment. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. If you give thought to your ways, if you can look at something and, and break it open or see, uh, see it for what it really is, that's another way of talking about wisdom, of, of gaining an understanding of what it would mean to live skillfully or what the causes or effects of different courses of actions would be. And again, by juxtaposition, folly, the opposite of wisdom, gets sucked in by deception. In other words, folly sees the surface of things. Folly sees the mirage. Folly sees the promise of something, but doesn't really break it open and understand what is going to transpire if a course of action is taken. Lastly, Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. This has to do with proper ordering of your place in things. So what is wisdom? It's a proper ordering of your place in things. If you have pride, um, it's, it's an improper ordering of your own worth and your own place in things. And with pride comes disgrace, meaning... Um, you will be tarnished, your reputation, your name, your life will be tarnished and not look desirable in the long run. And that comes from you having an improper ordering of where you fit. We all know pride when we see it. We are all turned off by pride or arrogance when we see it. 
when we really see it. And pride and improper ordering leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So wisdom, another way of talking about wisdom or what is wisdom or, or this idea of skillful living is having yourself located appropriately within the order of things. Having a right relationship with God, a right relationship with yourself, right relationship with others, and a right relationship with creation. Another word that, that also captures all of those right relationships and right orderings is the word justice, which we've talked a lot about. The word justice. And what you begin to find is that Humility gives rise to wisdom, and wisdom is a precursor or a skill that leads to justice. Let me say that again. Humility gives rise to wisdom. Wisdom is a skill or a capacity or an ability then to live justly by making the right kinds of decisions in the right kind of circumstances. Does that make sense? It all kind of goes together. I mean, the, the theme of wisdom and humility and justice and righteousness and being with God and following God and obeying his commands, all of this is some kind of organic, holistic whole. It, it's, it's simple, yet it all goes together. And if you begin to take out a strand and talk about only a strand, you begin to confuse the whole working of it all. It's this organic reality of our relationship with God with these simple kind of concepts that turn. And when we submit to God, when we understand our place in things, what was the verse we read in chapter 9? Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. And humility comes before honor. Do you guys see that? Let me try and break it out for you. The fear of the Lord, meaning a right ordering of our relationship with God, that he is high and exalted and big and awesome. Fear meaning just awe, majestic, um, large, overwhelming. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15 echoes it. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. And again, Hebrew parallelism and humility comes before honor. There is a likening of the fear of the Lord and humility in such that they are, are synonymous. The fear of the Lord, another way of talking about that is my humility. My proper understanding of my place in things goes with the proper understanding of God's place in things. A proper understanding of God's place in things leads to a proper understanding of my place in things. And both of these, when I understand where God is and where I am, both of those produce or lead to wisdom. And wisdom is the skill or the aptitude that allows me to be just and righteous. So I, you've heard me when we, when we were talking about justice, um, talking about the amazing thing with Solomon is that Solomon prays for wisdom. You guys remember this story? Solomon prays for wisdom, and we're like, oh, wisdom must be this amazing thing. And uh, we talk about it like, oh, yeah, it's interesting. He, I don't know, I mean, prayed for wisdom. You know, he, he gives one wish, you know, from the genie lamp and, and wisdom. Okay, I guess it's an okay thing. I don't know if it's what I would have picked. I would have, I think, been smarter. I would have picked for three wishes, you know. One wish, give me three wishes, you know, and then I would have worried about what to wish for, right? I mean, you know, would I really have asked for wisdom? 
And we don't ever answer that question because we don't ever look at the passage. And what the passage states is that Solomon is given this one wish and he goes and looks to God and says, you've been, you've been good to my father David, now be good to me. There's this huge empire and I'm a little kid. I don't know how to rule these people. I don't know how to be a good king. I don't know how to judge well. I don't know how to determine things rightly. It's beyond me. So please give me wisdom. Give me discernment that I might rule well. It's beautiful. I mean, his job as a shepherd, his job as a king is for the purpose of of serving the people in his country. His position is isn't for himself. Uh, go read Deuteronomy 18 if you want, but it's not to multiply horses. It's not to multiply money. It's not to use that power to serve himself. And Solomon gets this at the beginning, not that he got his, his whole life. At the beginning, he certainly got it. And he says, I, I, I got to serve these people and I don't have the capacity to do that. So God gives him wisdom. He says, I will give you wisdom that you will be able to rule with justice, that you will be able to do justice in your land and for your people. So wisdom was a means to the end of what? Justice. When it's your life, your individual life, wisdom is a means, it's a skill to live rightly or justly to the degree that you have power or, the, or authority or influence. How many of you own your own business? Yeah. Um, if you have employees, you know there's a lot of things about how you treat your employees and, and not to, to defraud your employees and your workers. Those passages apply to us here now. It's not just some bygone era or the tycoons that built America that took advantage. It's like, how, how am I treating my workers? But to the degree that you have influence or power or position, wisdom is a skill not just for you to live rightly for your own life, but for you to lead rightly or to do justly with regard to the people that you have charge over. So wisdom is the, the skill for me to live rightly and to lead rightly. It's the skill to do justice. And we see these themes turning and, and rotating around. And so when we're talking about the good life, we're talking about the role that wisdom, this skill plays in bringing about the good, the true, and the beautiful, the flourishing of the human soul. And it's something that is learned. So I'm going to give you three things, and then uh, we've got communion today, so hopefully we can roll through these uh, pretty fast. But the first thing is that we pursue wisdom, pursuing wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom. Wisdom doesn't just come ready-made. There's two ways to gain wisdom. One, to learn from your mistakes. Two, to learn from other people's mistakes. Have you guys ever realized that? You, you can learn from other people's mistakes um, or, you can, or you can just make them all yourself and learn the same lessons that you would have learned just by looking at other people. And uh, some of us, like me, are stupid enough <laughs> uh, to have to learn from our own mistakes. But pretty soon you begin to see where this is going and, and I think maturity and, and wisdom and knowledge teaches you there's a quicker way. So I, I might have been dumb in my early years 
but I have a, a mind for efficiency. And so somewhere along the way, it, it kind of caught on that I can learn from other people that have gone before me, that have made mistakes and rebounded from it. I, I call pastors a lot, primarily Ed Underwood, who comes and speaks here sometimes. And it's like, Ed, what do I do here? I don't I, I mean, I don't know what to do here. I mean, this one's above me. What, what have you seen before? Oh, yeah, we've dealt with that three or four times at Church of the Open Door. Um, here's what I would counsel you. Run. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but wisdom is something that is gained by, by learning, learning from your own life, learning from the lives of other people, by reading literature that has to do with skillful living. Here's a fascinating thing to me. The boom in self-help books is a rather recent phenomenon. The boom in self-help literature is a rather recent phenomenon. I mean, you could give a whole lot of different reasons for it. I don't know that there's one be-all, end-all. Uh, the self-esteem movement of the 70s was a, was a big part of that. Uh, the self-esteem gospel is kind of a Christian version of this. It's a big part of that. Uh, there's a whole lot of other things. But I would say, here's an interesting thought. I think there's a lot of people that were making it to adulthood who hadn't grown up in tight community with grandparents or aunts and uncles um, or a lot of people surrounding them speaking wisdom into their life. And they, uh, they didn't have that community. They also went to schools where the schools taught vocationally, meaning um, they taught knowledge that you would need to be successful in a vocation. It's vocational training. Does, does that make sense? But you get to adulthood and you're in your 30s and you can do heart surgery. If you're a heart surgeon, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying you, you get to your 30s and you can do great heart surgery, but you find yourself completely empty inside and going, I don't really know how to live. Like, I, I really don't know how to live. I don't know how to size certain things up. My relationships keep, uh, keep kind of getting um, snagged. I, I don't have a history of, of great relationships or handling conflict well or, or knowing how to break things open and see what's in them rather than just what's on the surface. And, and I feel like I'm small inside. What do I do, right? I think the self-help industry and, and the whole boom in self-help literature is really speaking into a void where, where we don't know and, and haven't been exposed to wisdom as a strong, robust category uh, over a long period of time. Does that make sense? That's why I gave you the challenge, read the Proverbs. While we're going through this series, read the Proverbs every day. Because wisdom, this thing that we need in order to live rightly, is something that grows as you pursue it. You want a lot of it? Pursue it intensely. I mean, it's, 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 it doesn't ever say that you reach a point where it's done and you can just click it off. Or that you have enough, so you might as well just go um, focus on something else for a while. Wisdom is something that can grow all the way up until the time you die. That's why 
uh, in all cultures except America, recent America, people valued the elderly. We have this whole celebrity thing going with like teenagers and then it's, it's flip-flopped. But in all cultures, we valued age because with age came wisdom because it can keep growing. So pursue wisdom. Proverbs 10, 23, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. We run hard after our business. We run hard after our jobs. We run hard after the things that are gonna bring good to us, monetary good. And Proverbs over and over says, look, you don't understand. It's better to get wisdom than to get gold. Invest into your character not just into your comfort. It's a huge thing. We, we don't really get as Christians in America that God cares more about our character than he does our comfort. And so most of our prayers ref- reflect this idea of, God, my circumstances are really challenging. My circumstances are making life very uncomfortable. And we really hunger to see action on the, on the level of changing our circumstances. And one of, the, one of the things we need to be reminded by people who have more age and more wisdom than us is, listen, God cares more about your character than your comfort. God actually brings a lot of sufferings into your life. It might be that this challenge or this trial or this particular suffering is actually being brought or allowed in your life by God because he wants to grow you in the process And if all you are thinking about is comfort or circumstances, you're going to miss the character growth that you could have. And you're like, but I don't want the character growth. This is the way I feel. Well, screw that. Like, who wants that? Like, oh, great. I, I get to have a miserable life for the next year so that I can grow in character. I don't want that. It's because I don't understand the value of character. And I don't understand the value of wisdom. And I don't understand what what the philosophers would call virtue ethics. That virtue, a right ordering of myself, that, that virtue is a part of the right way to live. And by living rightly, I'm gonna find the greatest amount of joy and contentment and happiness that life has to offer. That pleasure is fleeting. And, and so a, a broken aspect of virtue or forgetting virtue, or not caring about virtue, but just caring about pleasure, it's the hedonistic paradox. In looking for pleasure, you never seem to ultimately find it. And and virtue ethics understands in a right ordering of myself, and, and living appropriately, leads to the greatest amount of contentment, and joy, and happiness, and and ultimately good kind of pleasure. Because there are good pleasures as well as bad pleasures. And so I don't value character Because I don't really see the connection between character and my fulfillment in life. Am I I alone? But the flourishing soul, growing and developing and, and attaining contentment and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit and having the life I really want when I close my eyes and I'm not looking at some pleasure, that comes through character. God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about your comfort. It doesn't mean he doesn't um, shed a tear for your pain. That's one of the beauties of seeing Jesus walk around on this earth is getting to see the tears. 
doesn't mean he doesn't care, but that's less than your soul, the development of your character. Proverbs 19.8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. Proverbs 12.8, a man is praised according to his wisdom, but men with warped minds are despised. Um, elder meetings, sometimes it's fun for me to be there and we'll have this whole conversation and then someone will pipe in with wise words and I, we've all been in those meetings before, those situations, and you're like, I'll give you my, my take on it. It might be different than yours. My first thought is, dang it, why didn't I say that? Because <laughs> I'm still young enough uh, that I care about how people view me, right? Um, and then the second thing is, wow, um, Rick Gerhardt's pretty sharp. Jim Wilkins is incredibly discerning. Um, et cetera, et cetera. A man is praised or a woman is praised according to their wisdom. Again, this is written by Solomon to his sons. It's not, it's not gender specific. Um, we are praised according to our wisdom, but with warped minds we are despised. Some of, uh, some of you have asked me a very honest question at times. Why Kilns College? Why, why did we kind of birth this Bible college? You know, does the world need another Bible college? Does the world need another college? Uh, I like Oregon because they have the ducks. As if that has anything to do with education. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. I mean, you know, do we need another college? I mean, is this really worth the money? Is it worth the time and the energy? And Kilns College, let me just give you this, this snippet here. Kilns College has a classical view of education that says it's a liberal arts school. Some of you are like, ooh, does that mean it's a Democrat school? No, no, no. Um, liberal arts in the classical sense is this. The Latin word liber means free. It's where we get the word liberty. See how that works? Okay. So liberal arts stood for classically a free man's education. What do you mean a free man's education? Well, in the ancient world, the Roman world, you had 70% slaves. You want to know what they were taught? What a slave's education was? Vocational training. How to perform a task and do a job. The, the teaching that was only available to the free man was teaching that had to do with the good, the true, and the beautiful, the flourishing soul, the study of wisdom, of skillful living. So um, liberal arts means a free man's education, which is really an education about the person and the development of the person. Now, this is also a Christian education. It's discipleship. It's saying what really matters is that we're on this journey of growing into who we were called and created to be and to become so that we can be a tool for God's purposes in our life. Not just do a vocation, but, but render ourselves to God as an instrument according to his purposes that can only happen ultimately as we grow in wisdom and maturity and skill at right living. 
Someone who's completely broken relationally can't be a pastor. Someone who's completely broken in terms of their heart and sin and pleasure is not going to make a good missionary or a counselor or you name it, right? Someone who's very selfish or proud isn't going to make a good leader and serve well. And so ultimately to be used by God for his purposes beyond just vocation brings about a certain development of the soul of discipleship of the, uh, of the person. So Kiln's College exists not just to teach you what to think, but how to think. Not just to teach you about history, but the history of ideas and how justice works in that and what theology has to say to it. To teach you not just about head knowledge, but to hopefully walk you into experiencing things in practice because things are better caught than taught. And and why does that matter? It matters because I need more wisdom. It doesn't matter that I've got degrees and I've reached a terminal state in my vocational training. Just because you've reached a certain grade and gotten a diploma doesn't mean learning ends for you. It's a great myth that we live with in the Christian world. And so Kiln's College is designed for all of us to be able to go and to focus and and to, to learn more. It's also designed to take our kids, my kids, and whether they go off to college or whether they stay at the Kilns or whether the Kilns is like what they take at age 18 before they go to college, it exists to help train them up so that they can be better in their studies long-term and contextualize vocational training around their idea of who they were created to be and what God is calling them to do. I don't, there's not much like that out there. And the, the students that are there that are learning now, it's incredibly exciting. And what we could do, it gets, this isn't like, this is uh, not me being mad at the congregation. This is, this is um, me being vulnerable. There's 500 adults in this room. I and a couple of us struggle weekly to build this college. And I'm so fully aware that if, if we just together decided to do this, and we, everyone just said, you know what? I mean, it's like an old-fashioned barn raising. You know, and we just all kind of pitch in. It, it, it's here and it needs to get here. That's easy. There's 500 of us. We can do that. It, what kills me is laying in bed at night and going, my gosh, I can't do this. And, and being so fully aware that we can. And if we don't love wisdom first, we're never going to care about what we're trying to do at Killens College. If we don't understand that character and the flourishing soul is, is this huge central part of what it means to grow up and to live in life, we're not going to care about what we're doing at Killens College. And so I hope that pursuing wisdom would be on our hearts, on our minds, and that somehow around that we could have a shared concern for how we could promote the growth, the teaching, and the development of wisdom and knowledge in our body. This was always a part of church communities throughout history, the educational part. Somehow in the last 60, 70 years, it's gotten divorced from church. And all we do is potlucks, and then the educational part is for something else. You know, the fascinating thing to me is what kind of church did Jesus do? 
What kind of church model did Jesus employ? The answer is um, he didn't. What he actually employed was an educational model. He was a rabbi with disciples. And he used that to give rise to church leaders that then went out and planted and led and multiplied churches. What is more foundational to church is our, our educational and discipleship model and our ability to focus on and be serious about this. Jesus never really did church. He did education. So first thing, pursuing wisdom. Second thing, parenting and wisdom. We have, a, we have a yearning for wisdom even at a young age. That's why when I tell my, my daughters, you gotta run the water when you're running the, the, the garbage disposal, they look at me and say, why? They're not being disrespectful. They, they wanna know why. That's, that's a part of hungering to have the discernment and knowledge of how things work. As parents, it's so easy because it takes time and energy. We usually shut that down. Don't talk back. Just run the dang water, you know? <laughs> Quit mouthing off, you know? Um, you want time out? Ask me another question. <laughs> we have a, an innate hunger for, for wisdom. And if you don't teach your kids wisdom, they're going to read 50 self-help books in their 30s trying to find how, how things work or how they're supposed to live. Parents, spend time with your kids answering the why. Spend time with your kids answering the why. If I was talking to a group of pastors right now, you know what I would tell them? Spend time with your congregations answering the why. There's a reason we do a question and answer service, except for this week, every week after the sermon. Nobody can ever say to me, um, you will not engage me. You won't answer my question. You're ducking this issue. You, you can't say that here. And if I was talking to church leaders, I'd say the same thing. Spend time answering the why. So pursue wisdom. Parent toward wisdom. And then lastly, communion in wisdom. This was this morning... I, we don't always take communion on Sunday mornings. We're doing it this week. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know what? There's a passage where Paul says, don't eat or drink wrongly, inappropriately. Because if you do, you, you, you eat or drink judgment on yourself. Does that make sense? It's, it's the kind of thing that I, I've, you know, you, I, you really preach in the Baptist church. Because it, it makes everyone really serious. Um, but I was really thinking about it in the context of Proverbs today, and I was like, you know, it's real simple here. For me to live rightly, for me to obey Jesus' commands, we don't talk about obedience enough. Because we think if we're talking about obedience, we're, it's almost like anti-Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the man of grace. So when we're talking about obedience and doing, it's almost like we're, we're not spotlighting Jesus enough. But what did Jesus say when, whenever the attention was brought to him and it's like, I love you or, or what most, you know, what did he say? If you really love me, you will what? Obey my commands. 
And it's another one of these false dichotomies we've set up. And so we don't talk about obedience, obedience enough. We, we kind of skirt it. But if we don't talk about obedience, we're not talking about following. And if we care about Jesus, what Jesus was saying, if we care about Jesus, we've got to follow him. And the way to follow is by obeying his commands. It's, you can't separate these two. And so having a right ordering of my place in the world and I fear God and I don't want to chase vain pleasures and I want to learn and be discipled and, and I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps and so I, I want to run hard after him and that's, that's all about obeying his commands. If I'm doing that and trying to choose this path, I need strength. I need grace. And that's what communion was about. Jesus saying, look, this is the symbol. This is the hope you have. This is the touch point that says, look, I've, I've saved you and I will save you again. There's something to look back to. There's something to look forward to. And, and the church has always seen it as a means of grace. That when we take communion, it's in some way a way in which we actually get fed. It's a way of nurturing our souls and growing us spiritually. It's, it's what we call a means of grace. And when we come to this, if we haven't made a pre-commitment to walk the path of wisdom or to follow Christ, we just come in talking like God is big to us and then we go and drink this or eat this, it's as if we're drinking judgment on ourselves because we're not doing it rightly. Does that make sense? We don't really believe that that's the answer. We're not really committed to following that path. We're just doing it because we like going along with the spiritual things. Or we've fractured our life and, and we, we, we don't really realize the duplicity with which we pretend to be Christian, but really live a completely different and foolish life. And so when we come... This has everything to do with Proverbs and wisdom and the path you're on and your willingness to be in the, the right ordering and, and obey and follow Christ as you slowly grow up into maturity. And, and to those of us that are wanting to follow that path or have chosen to follow that path, this is for us to be encouraged and to be nurtured and to be sustained. So the band's gonna come out. Um, I'm gonna pray in just a minute here. And then there's a good solid three songs. And when you are ready, whether by yourself or with your family or, or your friend or whoever, you can come forward and tear some of the bread and dip it in the, the grape juice or the wine. Um, and maybe if we, I think there's enough stations actually. There's some back there for those of you that are up top. Is this for me? Okay, um, and, uh, and so please, uh, as you see fit, feel free to come forward and to take that. The band will lead us through this, um, but this is the opportunity for the church to come and do this. Please don't feel any pressure, and please do, if you bring your kids, if you can talk to them about the hope we have, the Passover supper that this comes from was open to all Jewish families and their children, children of the covenant, children of the promise. So I would encourage you to come forward that way. So let's go ahead and pray um, and then take communion this morning. Father, please keep your hand on this church. We know we're not perfect. We know we'll never be perfect. 
but we get to celebrate the grace that you so freely bestow on us through your son, Jesus. So let this time together be a reminder. Let this time together be an encouragement. For those of us that aren't walking truly, I pray it would be a a decisive moment in our life. Reach out to us and let us know that you really are there and if we seek you, we will find you. For those of us that are walking the right path but we're just struggling with a lot of pain or suffering, Father, through this time, let us know that you are close and you are near and you are dear and that you do shed tears. We commit this time to you in Christ's name.